Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North. I guess not. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. One, two, three. It's Mackie and Judd with Rami. It's about that time of the process that everybody, I think, is uh, ready to just get this going. Um, you know, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday probably can't get here quick enough uh, as we go through this process. I think there's um, a lot of deep positions in this class. I think um, when we looked at our front board, this is the most uh, number of players we have that we think are draftable. I don't think every team has, what is it, 234 draft picks that say 234 players are draftable. Uh, but I know from our board this year and the way it's developed, the depth of talent, especially on the offense and defensive lines, um, are one of the probably strongest I've seen in a while. Angst, everybody has angst. My, my wife, uh, I'll, I'll leave that at home. <laughs> she said if I draft another corner, though, we might don't come home. She goes, you can just stay at the office, although there's some pretty good corners we like in the first round. There's a lot of truth in there, I feel like. I feel like a lot of times, like Rick, Rick gets up and he just slings. What is it like a thirty-minute press conference usually? And he just sort of slings if that. things that he wants to. And uh, I felt like there was some truth in that one today because he he's not oblivious. He doesn't just like ignore what, that. Media. His wife doesn't want him to come home if he drafts a cornerback. Well, his wife representing the Vikings fans, right? See, that's not how I took it. I took it as. He was so bombarded with harassment and hate for taking a cornerback last year that it made her life miserable. So she was like, hey, don't piss people off again, all right? I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> yeah, but like she's representative of Vikings Actually, fans. you know what? It's crystal clear. He's playing his wife against Zim. <laughs> That's what it is. He's basically, he's basically the kid, and he can't please mom or dad because he's, like, he's going to tick one of them off with his decision. He's like, Zim, listen... <laughs> I know that there's an amazing cornerback sitting here at 18. My wife's going to kill me. I can't do it. The, the like, backlash is going to be too much. I don't care. Yeah. Um, Take the cornerback. It would be, I heard you guys earlier today on Purple Daily going through different scenarios, like how could they wind up with a defensive player at 18, or how could they wind up, should they look at wide receivers later on in the draft? And I think sometimes we talk ourselves into, as fans and people, like you, you rationalize and you and you lead your way for four months to the NFL draft, and you know that they should take this player or or the, this position is the position you have to take. And if you don't take this position, it's wrong. 
Um, but there's all kinds of examples. If you go back to, and I know this is an extreme one, go back to 1998 and even go to 2007. Maybe the two best draft picks in Vikings history, and Randy Moss and Adrian Peterson. And going into both those drafts, would you have said going into 1998? And I don't. There wasn't like social media or you know twenty. The twenty four seven sports cycle was just sort of starting in the nineties. Yep. But if you had this level of media, would there be a ton of buzz in 1998 saying you got you gotta take a wide receiver in the first round? You gotta. Uh, I think people would be saying, you know, if Randy Moss falls that far, I would, I'd trade back and cash in the picks to have someone else take a chance on him. Or Adrian Peterson. Were we really saying with Chester Taylor in his prime on that team? Oh, no. A thousand-yard rusher saying, boy, Adrian Peterson falls a couple picks, you better take Adrian well, Peterson. So I'm be open-minded. I think if a generational, a potential generational talent falls to you at, at 18, it changes your thinking. Um, because if you recall a couple of years before the Moss selection in 98, Warren Sapp fell to them, and they passed. And Warren Sapp, it's like, what were you thinking? But that's a generational talent. And Peterson, I still recall that draft and sitting there, and at first you're like, okay, he's going to get taken at four, and then he does in his five. And then you're like, okay, you got to take him. <laughs> so I think if it's a generational talent, but if it's a guy that you project that might be a Pro Bowl player at a position that you don't need as much, that's, that's where I object, especially because it does look like a lineman who's pretty doggone good is going to be there at 18. So, Phil, I agree with what you're saying. If you're convinced that the guy that you're about to pass up is going to be a phenomenal talent. Yeah, I said I'm with you. One of the first pieces of reckless speculation that we had when I, I first came here to, to to the Twin Cities was Kyler Murray talks. Could they trade up and get Kyler Murray or maybe trade up and get Josh Rosen, blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, you just paid a quarterback $29 million a year, fully guaranteed, for three years, you should not be looking for another quarterback. You really shouldn't be looking for anything other than things to help that quarterback and win a Super Bowl in those three years, unless unless you think Kyler Murray is Patrick Mahomes or he's Aaron Rodgers or he's Tom Brady or one of these generational type of talents, then you take that guy because they only come around every so often and figure out what you're going to do with Kirk Cousins later. Or if it, like Phil is saying, if there's a Adrian Peterson-like running back, but... How many of those guys are there really? The Patrick Mahomes and Adrian Petersons of the world that at any given position, even if you think you found that guy, chances are you're wrong, right? Because those guys are so few and far between and so many people have been wrong when they thought they had that guy. So I'm not, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. If you think you have that type of generational talent on the board with pick number 18, you take it, but also take it with a grain of salt of knowing you're probably wrong about it. I think I, I guess to sum up my point, it's sort of to, it's to what Judd is saying. If there's a if there's a player that is clearly Pro Bowl or like above this bar between Pro Bowl and like borderline Hall of Fame, I don't care what position he plays. You should add that player. Like I don't. I mean, the Vikings had a starting running back in 2007 in his prime, and they said, "Well, actually, there might be a Hall of Famer on the board here." I think what I am saying is. Just because they might not draft an offensive lineman at 18 tomorrow night doesn't make them wrong. If they were to take a defensive player at 18 tomorrow night, or if they were to take a wide receiver at 18 tomorrow night, I don't think they're automatically wrong. I think it's very situational. If there's a run of offensive linemen leading up to 18, and there just wasn't an opportunity to trade up, um, I think you pick the non-offensive line position at 18, and then you take your chances in the second round. So I feel like we're headed toward this... We're just like we're headed toward if they don't take offensive line at 18, they are wrong. And I think it's more complicated than that. 
I think if they don't take an offensive lineman at 18 and don't get the type of generational talent we were just talking about, regardless of position, then the right thing to do is either trade up amidst a run on offensive linemen and get the guy you want, or trade down and get more draft picks and take an offensive lineman late first, early second round. I agree with that. I also think, though, to to the point here, they might not be wrong, but they have to understand that there are consequences for actions. And there's two actions here that frustrate me that we've gotten here. One is the second you sign Cousins, you are all in. Like, you can't say, well, we signed Cousins, but we're still really concerned about 2024. So you went all in. And when you go all in, you better damn well know what you're doing because that's a very important move, which they made. And they paid a lot for what they considered to be the best QB out there. They paid too much. But you know what? I'm willing to go down that path because he probably was the best QB out there at that time. The other consequence that they have to understand, and Phil, we've done this exercise now for about four years, is you ignored this position. Like, this is coming home now. Again, 2016, 18. You ignored, you you had a GM who actively, for the most part, ignored the line and thought that he he could find guys. And this goes back to, to what Childress did at cornerback. All those years of we'll get a guy in the third round and he'll be good. It's like no, he won't be. Yeah. But you have to you have to do that with some positions because you can't you, you draft do. them all in the first round. You do, but I I would argue that um, cornerback you should not, and I would argue that to solidify positions on the O line once in a while you've got to go in and take one early on. So so the frustration that I'm feeling about how this team has run is now paying the piper for the fact that you committed to Cousins and took a leap there that said this is a, a Super Bowl team and you were coming off a 13-3 season. You were probably right. And the second one was the fact that offensive line has been ignored by Spielman way too much. I mean, it's a it, it's pretty amazing. If you go back, what year did Rick Spielman get here? 07? He got here. 06? Uh, no, the 07 draft was, was the first draft that he was involved in. Okay. And then he took over in 2012 as far as, as the being the deciding voice. So, or final voice. Under Rick Spielman's draft influence, let's say. So the era of Rick Spielman's draft influence, uh, 2007. Yep. The, the last first round pick they spent on an offensive lineman was Matt Khalil. Yeah. Number four overall, Matt Khalil in 2012. Mm-hmm. And... Um, that's it. Yeah. The only first round pick they've ever spent on a first uh, on an offensive lineman in the Rick Spielman influence era was Matt Khalil, and which is one of the worst draft picks in Vikings history. And I'll even they give them that, that though. But... Like that was not a mistake. He, he the got, idea was right. The idea was right, and and he had a great first year. So I'm not even faulting him there. But when you just look at the history of of ignoring that position, and and it is it's Childress with cornerbacks. I can I'll find them. Well, no, you won't. There are certain we we can go through here this right now and do an exercise, and I think that we can all agree on positions where you can find a guy and positions where you probably can't get cute. And, and offensive line, there are some positions that you can find guys, but you can't do it as much as they've relied upon. And, and once you guys agree to, a lot of it is based on. I think you can you can find a guy at a lot of different positions depending on what your current roster looks like. If you already have Drew Brees as a quarterback, yeah. okay, I'll find a running back. I'll 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 take a Kenny Stills. Although was what's wrong with Kenny Stills? I'll 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 find a guy, and uh, and make him a wide receiver. 
if throughout your general manager tenure, you've got rookie quarterbacks like Teddy Bridgewater and uh, Tavares Jackson back in the day and Christian Ponder or borderline backup journeyman types like Matt Castles and the uh, Gus Ferrats 2008 and like that list goes on and on. All right. Probably not looking to just find an offensive lineman in the sixth round, right? Mm-hmm. If you expand it out to rounds one, two, and three, and we did this exercise a couple years ago, uh, and it and it was it was bad a couple years ago. They they put a, a couple draft picks uh, in the first three rounds into Pat Elfline and Brian O'Neill. But if you go back to 2007, the Rick Spielman influence era, they've only spent four, if I'm not mistaken, four. First, second, or third round picks on offensive linemen in 12 years. First three rounds, offensive linemen. Last 12 years, four. Brian O'Neill, Pat Alfline, Phil Lodeholt, Matt Khalil. So how can you sit here and say that not taking an offensive lineman, short of a generational talent, would not be the wrong thing to do then? I said in the first round. Yeah, I know. And I'm I'm telling you, if it's not a generational talent that you pass up on O-line help for at number 18... It is your duty as the general manager of the Minnesota Vikings to upgrade this offensive line. And again, if if it doesn't look like the guy you want is going to be there at 18, trade up and get him. Because again, it is your duty to protect Kirk Cousins. And like Judd said, give yourself every chance you can to win a Super Bowl in this Kirk Cousins window. Well, Or you can trade down and get more cracks at offensive linemen and more draft picks. But I don't think that you can use... The best asset that you have this offseason, because you were so handcuffed in free agency, the best asset you have this offseason is that first-round draft pick at number 18 to upgrade your offensive line and to use it to do anything but upgrade your offensive line. I feel like you're sort of negligent in your duties, Rick Spielman. So to tie these points together, so I, I agree 50% with what you're saying. I don't think you can look at the last 12 years, I don't think you can go back and look at the 2009 and 10 drafts and say, man, because we were negligent then, then we have to pick an offensive lineman in the first round this year. If you're stretching, if you have your uh, your player rankings or your big board or whatever it is that they're calling it at uh, Twin Cities uh, Orthopedic Performance Center, and you're sitting there at 18, and there's four offensive linemen off the board, and the next one is like, 25th on your board and a pass rusher or some other position that's not offensive line is eighth on your board. I can't justify in the first round a 17 position gap that's on a big why, board. That's why but I, if you don't follow up by picking an offensive lineman in the second round, I guess I would say that if you don't pick one in the first two rounds, then it's a problem. I told I told Collar today though, and this is the one thing the draft sims can't do. Move up, then move up, then give up draft picks. Move up, like you've you painted yourself into this corner. Get yourself out, but and our, don't and don't give me this. I like to accumulate picks. I'm tired of that. I get. Listen, if you're building something, that's fantastic. But you're not doing that here. You're an established team. You're supposed to win. The problem with moving up, like Matt Matt Khalil was a guy that Matt Khalil was a guy that teams. If you would have asked teams, teams would have moved up to take a Matt. Like if you're twelfth or something, and it was fairly reasonable. Absolutely teams would have moved up. I bet you if you went back and looked at all of the first round offensive linemen, or even just the top 20, uh, if an offensive lineman was drafted in the top 20, it's probably a 50-50 coin flip. And so my only issue just to be aware of, if you're trading up to Mm -hmm. draft an offensive lineman and you're sacrificing volume of picks on a coin flip, 
you're getting even more risky. But because now you're losing the the volume of potential. Oh, well, we but we did find a guy in the fourth round. That's the risk you run anytime you trade up, right? It's not Correct. just that's, that's it's not just offensive linemen. Oh, totally agree. So yes. again, if you if you target your guy, you can always be wrong when you target your guy. But if you target your guy and there's a running offensive lineman and it looks like he might go off the board, I'm with Judd in saying go up and get him. If you're 100% sold on him, that you can plug him in and he solves one of your problems on the offensive line because you have multiples. But if he solves one of your problems on the offensive line, do what you got to do to go and get that guy. If that guy isn't on the board, but again, there's a run on offensive linemen before you at 18, and you, there are guys with second-round draft grades that you like or late first-round draft grades that you like, then trade down and give yourself more cracks at it. And there you're doing the opposite of what you said, Phil, which is limiting your chances at getting right. You're increasing your chances at getting right if you trade down and acquire more draft picks. Right. If you're... If you're it doesn't matter if it's an offensive lineman or a quarterback. When you trade up to get somebody, you're you're still gambling because mm-hmm. you could you could you could trade up or you could sit. There. I mean, there's a lot of cases where, like the Saints traded their whole draft for Ricky Williams one time because this is the franchise changer, and he was a good running back, but he didn't change the franchise. He got Mike Dicka fired. Yes, he did. So, you know, <laughs> I'm sure if you would have gone back in retrospect and said, "Would you like to have a flyer on a second round cornerback that maybe could help your defense?" They'd probably. But you know what's funny about that is, and you don't know what the Saints would have done with those picks had they not traded them and made them instead. But I think it was three years later of all the draft picks that the Redskins got in that Ricky Williams trade. The only guy who was not only still with the Redskins, but in the league was Champ Bailey. Wow. Well, that was it. Everybody else was out they, of they draft. Got, At least they got a, like a 15-year amazing player. But then he wound up with the with the Broncos for yeah. most of those years. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Vikings did have a draft where was it the Jared Allen after the Jared Allen trade they oh, gave up a first and yep. like a third and uh, so they so they it was probably worth it to have draft. Jared Allen and that draft was awful Tyrell Johnson John David Booty Latroy Guyon were their first three they did wind up with John Sullivan yeah. who was a franchise center and then Jamar Johnson yep so we shall see tomorrow and, night and they, they took five guys again in two thousand nine yes and that's the draft where they actually were getting good and addressed immediate needs and I think all five of those guys played yeah you had and they uh, weren't you know Percy Harvin filled Percy was great but yeah Jasper Brinkley was a special teams linebacker Jamarcus Sanford Asher Allen that's actually on the download that's one of their sneaky better drafts percentage wise because they hit on a hundred percent of those picks and I, I believe that every one of those players played that year then because when 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 uh, EJ snapped his femur Ugh. in Arizona, wow, Jasper Brinkley came in, and he wasn't great, Ugh. but at least he could replace him. That was the most Your gruesome thing femur, I've seen. by the way, is a his leg was large His bone. leg was dangling. It, it was, was on the other side. It was not. Yeah. Legs yeah. don't do I that. I didn't even no. see this, and I'm over here cringing. It was brutal. Let's find a video for Rami here. Let's not. Let's not do that. <laughs> he, he just ate. I can confirm that. I don't want him do to see it. you know how it. hard it is to break a femur? Oh, yeah, let's find a video. It's the strongest no, bone. It's actually the strongest bone. It's actually yeah. pretty easy if you see the video. Ask yeah. <laughs> oh, EJ. Oh. oh, my God. Oh, man. Mackie and Judd with Rami, and we are, uh, what, 26, 27 hours away from the NFL draft, and we are going to have a live Purple Daily draft special tomorrow night, starting right after Mackie and Judd with Rami. It's going to be the three of us, Matthew Collar, and we're going to be hanging out and uh, counting down the picks until the Vikings at number 18. Streaming not only on uh, the radio and our live uh, stream, live.scorenorth.com, but also if you want to watch us tomorrow night, you can hang with us on Twitter, on Facebook, or on Twitch. Jason Stark is going to join us. We're just going to go wall-to-wall NFL draft. Taking a quick look at your traffic. 
Just a small little crash on eastbound 394 between Lake Street and Penn. Look out for a crash there. Now back to Mackie and Judd with Rami. All right. Mackie and Judd with Rami on the all-new Score North. I can't remember if we, Rami, if we got trivia right we last week. We got one right. You got one right, and we swung and missed on the second one. Yeah, that's I remember fitting. it well. Yeah. Uh, all right, Jason. I can't take a sick day around here. <laughs> Jason Stark from The Athletic and MLB Network. Jason, who are the Vikings going to draft at 18 tomorrow night? I, I'm, I'm the only person in the media who has not done a mock draft. So, uh, well, here this is the, the floor guy. is yours here. <laughs> Kyler Murray, though, spurning your favorite sport had to be very upsetting. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the first pick. Beyond that, everybody's on their own. Seriously, I haven't looked at one mock draft, <laughs> written one. Um, I, I'm not helping. God bless you, you know. for that. No. Have you ever done like a, a baseball mock draft? <laughs> <laughs> uh, not, not quite one that was titled mock draft. I, I mean, I did have some years where I had to kind of predict the first five picks or okay. ten picks or something, but doing a baseball mock draft is a really bad line of work. Yeah, that's uh, that's a grind, man. This this high school kid is awesome. You don't understand. <laughs> and this eighth grader is even better than the high school kid. Hey, I saw Bobby Witt Jr. in the high school home run derby last year. So really, he'll he'll be a top. I remember that name. Pick. Oh yeah, Bobby Witt, man. I feel like Write that one down. As a kid, I remember specifically Bobby Witt started a season in the mid '90s with Texas six and zero. And I remember, <laughs> I remember going to a game at the Metrodome to watch the Twins and like a Rich Becker, Chuck Knobloch Twins team uh, against Bobby Witt with the uh, red, the the red capped Texas Rangers. So, uh, Jason, so we don't spend the next fifteen minutes talking about Bobby Witt from the eighties and nineties. Yeah, let's not. You have a piece on the Athletic investigating the death of no hitters, and we love your insights and your findings on this. Well, you know. Until really just a few years ago, uh, you know, for a century of baseball, the only way that a pitcher ever got taken out of a no hitter was if he got hit by a line drive. And now, all of a sudden, the last two, three, four years, that taboo about take you know keeping your pitcher in forever, it's all gone. Just take a look at how often. Starting pitchers are removed now in mid-no-hitter. We set a record last year. I'm sure we'll set a record this year. And it makes me wonder whether the the no-hitter is going to go from something that happened two, three, four, six times a year to two, three, four times a decade, if not worse. That's not good. So do you oh, – okay, so to backtrack on that point, I, I – I'm still surprised when guys who have walked, let's say they've walked two guys, get taken out. But you, but I go back to the Liriano no-hitter against the White Sox a few years back, and I think he walked six guys. In that situation, I don't care. What What's your, what's your feeling on, on what really qualifies as a competent pitching performance <laughs> with no hits in it? Yeah, not all no-hitters are created equal. We, we totally know that, but... You know, those those games where I, I talked to Max Scherzer and Jake Arrieta, and, and they've each pitched two, both tremendous. 
those games where a Max Scherzer is out there and you start counting down the outs, and now it's the seventh inning, and it's the eighth inning, and they've punched out like 14, and their heart is pounding, and the, the beads of sweat are running down their forehead, and the tension and the drama in the stadium is unlike anything that you see in a regular season game because of the way it builds, inning by inning, out by out, pitch by pitch at the end. Those are true events and their memories. And that's really what we're in the business for, to create those memories. And I would say that like a four, five, six pitcher no-hitter, it's history, but is it a memory? Not for me. Do you think, and not just a no-hitter, but all these trends that we're seeing in baseball and the changes that we're seeing in baseball, stuff like that happens across sports in reaction to past trends and trying to counter that and overcome that. Do you think that the no, the loss of the no-hitter and, and the other trends that we've seen in baseball with the rise of analytics it will ever go back the other way as people start reacting to this style of baseball and trying to overcome that? I don't think this has ever gone back the other way. Um, and, you know, one of the things I try to make clear in this piece is I'm not one of those people who thinks that everything was better back in the good old days. Right. I'm really not that guy. What I'm trying to chronicle is the way the sport is evolving. And I understand the reason for pitch counts. You're trying not to get pitchers hurt. We could argue whether it's working, but that's the idea, and it's hard not to be in favor of that. The other reason for pitch counts is just look at all the information about pitchers their third and fourth times through the order. I understand why, under most circumstances, you would want to take your starting pitcher out of the game, but this is one more area where we're reaching that tipping point between all the things that, that turn brilliant information and brilliant analysis into great baseball strategy, but make lousy entertainment strategy. And the loss of the one pitcher no-hitter is right on that cusp. What do you miss most, Jason? If there's, a, if there's something that you either grew up with in baseball or covered that has subtly or perhaps not so subtly changed greatly as baseball has evolved and changed quite a bit. What do you miss most? Yeah, you know, again, Jed, I try not to be that guy. But there's got to be I something. Action. Action. <laughs> you know, I was, yeah, I was looking at something for a piece I'm writing for next week. Do you know that the the strikeout rate among pitchers in the sport is now nine strikeouts per nine innings? Okay, so every everybody in the sport now averages a strikeout per inning. That makes you an average pitcher. What do you think Nolan Ryan's strikeout rate was? The greatest strikeout pitcher of all time. It's like seven or is it seven or eight per nine or something? No, he's over nine, but he was nine point five five, I think it is. And so the entire sport now is turning into Nolan Ryan. Ten years ago, or I guess 2008 was 11 years ago, the strikeout rate was like six and a half per nine. Now it's nine per nine. And that's a lot of web gems we don't get to see. That's a lot of people running around the bases that we no longer get to see. I miss action. I miss stuff happening. Um, And, you know, I was looking for analogies for the, the 
the no-hitter, right, versus the combined no-hitter. And if, if Max Scherzer, well, that guy again, if Max Scherzer goes out and strikes out 17, you'll talk about that for 20 years. If the starter and five relievers go out and strike out 17, you know what that game is? It's a game where nothing much happened. Yeah. Ball wasn't in play. Talking with Jason Stark of The Athletic and MLB Network here on Mackey and Judd with Rami. I'm with you, Jason. I'm not one of these guys who always says, you know, it was better in the past. I'm all about evolution and progress, and especially when technology can make our lives and the sport better, which is why I've started the hashtag Robot Umpire Takeover, because after last night's game, <laughs> watching Angel Hernandez have no idea what a strike zone is again and then be cocky about it drives me nuts. And I, 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 for the life of me, Jason, the technology exists where we could get 100% of ball and strike calls correct. We see it in tennis. We see it in soccer. Why don't we have an electronic strike zone? And do you think it will ever be anything that is, that is implemented in baseball? Well, you know, it's going to get implemented in the Atlantic League, right? And so the, anything that will be experimented with in the Atlantic League or the Fall League or any minor league is something that is on baseball's mind. And so they're intrigued by it. There's a lot of support for it. The technology isn't there, but talk to Rob Manfred about this last summer. And he made an observation that I've thought about. I haven't really totally resolved. And it was basically like this. If the home plate umpire is just a guy who stands there and relays the calls from the robot or just is there in case somebody slides in a home plate. Does that home plate umpire lose the presence to control the game, to preside over the game? Now, I know you're arguing you don't want Angel Hernandez presiding over the game. Or Joe West, or name an umpire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it is an issue, right? It's an issue. So we've got to get past all those issues before this can ever happen. But I think it can happen. I mean, I absolutely think it can happen. Tennis still has line judges, they're, and they're only there to relay what the computer says. They still preside over the tennis match. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I was at a I was at an event a couple of years ago, and I got into a conversation with uh, with two owners, and uh, you know they said, "Are you ready for robot umpires?" Because they're grumbling about uh, some calls, obviously. And I said, I, I don't think the technology is there yet. And they looked at me and they said, all right, when, when you're watching a game, do you ever have game day up on your screen on your, or your phone? I said, yeah, sure, of course. And when you're watching a game, they have like the K zone and you, you pay attention to that? Yeah, of course. And they said, and don't you accept that every single ball strike indication on the K-Zone or a game day is absolutely correct? And I said, yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> and they said, so why, why is the technology not there again? <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, the technology sure. argument is the dumbest argument. I mean, we... Like yeah. we sent okay fifty years ago we sent a vehicle to the moon and we, like, <laughs> fifty years ago. But the but how are you going to adjust for the height of a batter? I I don't know. Jesus, like have you seen the ESPN three D strike zone? It's a it's a marvel of modern technology. It's amazing. Right. That, that's a. I mean, that's a great. But we're not. Tr- 
trying to go to the moon here. We're right. just trying to get a, a strike call right. And, one, you know, one of the issues that goes with the umpire presiding is, you know, you have a situation like you have in New York the other night where Mark Carlson calls a couple of borderline strikes on Bryce Harper, rings him up, goes back to the dugout. A couple batters later, there's a really bad call. And for, for whatever reason, Mark Carlson instead of worrying about this game he's got to call, is listening to the dugout, and Bryce Harper gets thrown out of the game. And doesn't this doesn't the umpire have more to do than pay attention to the, the sniping from the dugout every single night? That's like you guys deciding what's going to be on your show based on the Twitter trolls. Well, actually, oh, we do. Actually, actually, we pretty actually, much Jason, just program oh, our you show just, You that, just cracked yeah. our code. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what do I know? <laughs> We're always, always listening to the Twitter trolls. Yes. We're, we are the Angel Hernandezes of Sports Talk Radio. The Angel Hernandai, I guess. Just ejecting people left and right. Dumping listeners. Oh, man. Um, hey, before we dive into uh, trivia here, we just like wanted to get your thoughts. It's early in the year. And they did get beat last night, but the Twins are off to about as good of a start as any of us could have thought. And Eddie Rosario already has ten home runs. Uh, there aren't many weak spots in the lineup. What are your What are your early impressions on the Minnesota Twins here, and, and the lineup in particular, Jason? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just got into a long talk with a, a rival AL executive wow. about the, about this very topic yesterday, and he he told me that that offense is for real. When you look at the at the ages and the career arcs of the guys who are in it, uh, I totally believe. Uh, he told me he thinks the shortstop is a star and everything about it is legit. And so I went, you know, I went back and and took a look after I got off the phone with him. And I mean, you're you're looking at a team that's got if you go position by position. An 800 or better OPS at every position but first, third, and right. The catchers have a 1,200 OPS. That's unlikely to continue, by the way. But they've done this without Marwin Gonzalez doing much of anything or Max Kepler even really being as good as a lot of people think he can be. Um, I mean, for for a lineup in the post-Robbie Grossman era, wow, pretty good, right? Man. We miss him. Mackie really loved do. him. Yeah. Yeah. On-base machine, right, Phil? He was. That dude worked a count like uh, like Ted Williams back in the day. He ranked oh. all-time great Twins hitters, <laughs> if I remember right, is Killebrew, Puckett, Grossman. Like that. <laughs> yeah, there was about a six-week stretch. of The Twins have had some amazing six-week stretches in their history. Like Lou Ford had a six-week stretch one that time. That should be a tops card. With Killebrew's picture, Puckett's picture, and Grossman's picture. Tops can issue a best of all time. Do you guys remember the six-week stretch of Trevor Plouffe from seven or eight years ago? Yeah, and he, he, would, hit, he hit like 20 home runs in two months or I something. I was in a few of those games. Yes, I do. <laughs> and, and then he like never hit a home run again in his career, apparently. Uh, all right, we've got, the, we've got the music ready to rock here, Jason. Are you ready for some trivia action? I, I am. Where the, where's the music? Let's go. Oh, sorry. We need to pot up the music. Can you pot up the music over here, Declan? Or did I just it's hit potted it? up? You didn't hit it. No, I'm... Oh, it's, it's the board. It's the. It's probably 
the board with we're, what, what's we're going on. We're quad A players no. today, Are Stark. we going to have to be music right, Declan, uh, sing, sing game show music for the next two minutes. You know, we, we can go to the moon. We can't hear the music. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's funny, that discussion we just had just plays so beautifully into my trivia question. Here it is. Let's because, go. Oh, now. now we have music. There we go. That's better. Wish I had my Martindale uh, wig on or whatever, but uh, here we go. You ready? Yes, yes sir. Yes. Eddie, Eddie Rosario is the fourth twin to have a 10 homer month in this decade. So you guys, I'm mean, speaking of, of little hot stretches, right? Trevor Plouffe. I was going to say, I think Trevor Plouffe is yeah. 100% one of them, right? Trevor Plouffe is so one of them at 11 in 2012. Yes. You got to name the other two. <laughs> Um, the other two, Justin Morneau got ridiculously hot in 2006, but he never, like he this wasn't decade, 10 home this decade. month hot. This decade. This oh, decade. So 2000, two, yeah, 2000, so 2000, oh, that was 2006, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. But he was ridiculously hot before he got hurt, that was 2010. But was he, he had, 18, he he had home 18 home runs. Hold on, this hold on. So decade. Two more twins. Oh, Josh Willingham's got to be on there, right? Yes. Josh Willingham had some stretches. Josh Willingham. Yeah. Um, okay, so we got two of three. Trevor Plouffe, Josh Willingham did it. Hit eleven in July of 2012. Locker mates. Didn't Bucks? Didn't Buxton get one in September? We're, yes, we're going to go. We're, we're gonna go with that. We're Buxton? saying. We're saying Buxton. Yeah, Buxton had a September call up month. Where he just destroyed baseballs. Let's go you're with that. With, you're going with Buxton. Yeah. Oh, over a guy who did it two months in a row. Oh, I thought Declan was. Oh right. man. I never read, two months in a row? I never allowed in the show again. There's a there's a guy, a, a, a very beloved twin, who had back-to-back double-digit homer months. You a beloved that twin? Long ago. Since 2010. I've, I've hated most twins since 2010, so this is difficult. Um, <laughs> since 2010. I, I thought he was the, the easy one. The Mauer? No. Dozier? No. I was going to say Mauer. Oh, Dozier. 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 Two thousand nine? Huh? Did he? Re- oh, I guess he did. Dozier. Brian Dozier is correct. Right. Yeah, we should have gotten that one. Brian yeah. Dozier did it in August and September of twenty sixteen, when all he did was hit home runs. I'm so, so curious about that Buxton September. It must have been nine you know, or eight. I, I only looked up ten or more. Uh, Buxton obviously did get hot. That the names on the list of twins who have done it is just tremendous. Mauer and Kadire and Tory and Chili Davis and Herbeck and Brunetsky. It, 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 now, Robbie Grossman didn't make the list, <laughs> but you would love reading the list. I should send you a, a link to it. Chili Davis was great that the uh, World Series year in 91. 91. Man, was good. Yeah. Yes, um, by the way, Byron Buxton hit nine home runs oh, in September so of 2016. Well, we should have gotten, gotten Dozier. Nine B- Buxton, Buxton against September pitching had a 1,011 OPS in September of 2016. Wow. So, there it was. All right. Well, Jason, uh, we appreciate it, and uh, we'll we'll try to do better next time. <laughs> no, that was an excellent effort to get the two guys you got. <laughs> Hashtag robot umpire takeover, Jason, all right? <laughs> And free to throw that out there. And Rami being back did not save us. No. For, for the record, I just want you to know, Rami being back did not help us win trivia. And that was important to you, man. I know it was. It was. It's always important. Thanks, Jason. See you, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Right. Bye. Talk to you next week. Jason Stark from The Athletic yeah, and so MLB. Mr. I shouldn't have called in sick. Huh? No, I mean, I can't get them all right. You could, I guess if... 
Let's make a pact. If any of us are sick uh-huh. and Jason has trivia, we yeah. have we call in for the three minutes of trivia. Okay. To at least help. I depends on how, sick, death it depends how sick we are. Heads in the toilet and you're just <laughs> yeah, gonna say, heaving it, into the microphone. Yeah. Thanks, Declan. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I was asleep at this time. That was last me last week. Tuesday, so. <laughs> how do we not get Dozier? Uh, just I honestly, Declan said it, and he, and Buxton had a had a. Yeah. Ch- I wanted Declan to get the point there. Thank really you, badly. Bill. Thank you. But, only one that but, uh, He said show. beloved twin, and that's where I didn't think Dozier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, fake beloved twin, maybe something like that. That's what. Quick look at your traffic. Beyond the lookout for a stalled vehicle on 94 westbound between Highway 280 and Huron Boulevard. Also in the southeast metro, there's a crash on I-494 between US-61 and Maxwell Avenue. Back to Mackie and Judd with Rami. It is Mackie and Judd with Rami. Thank you very much, Declan. I'm here with Judd Zolgad, Phil Mackie. Uh, in other news coming up at 520, bravery will be the theme of my in other news stories Okay, coming up at 520 this afternoon. Extreme bravery and a complete lack thereof. Bravery might be having turned the mics on during the last two minutes of that commercial break. <laughs> oh, oh, that would have been, to quote the old phrase, ballsy. <laughs> you know what bravery is? Bravery... Is starting a movement, you guys. And that's exactly what I've done with hashtag put a roof on it and now hashtag robot umpire takeover because this really this needs this needs to stop. Human umpires calling strikes needs to stop. We need to be done with the Angel Hernandezes of the world who, like I just said to Jason Stark, has no idea where a strike zone is and is very cocky about it. I don't understand how those two things go in hand hand in hand. But they do for him and a bunch of guys across this league. And the only way to defend Angel Hernandez and guys like him and how bad they are at calling strikes is to say that what they're doing, what we're asking them to do, is nearly impossible. It's nearly impossible to ask human beings with human eyes to watch a ball moving at 100 miles per hour, moving in any which direction it desires, with crazy, crazy spin rate on it, and determine whether or not it went through this imaginary zone that is in the shape of a house, comes up out of the ground, starts just above your knee, and goes to just above your belt. It's impossible, and there's no other job that calls for that level, that degree of precision that we haven't handed off to technology. Not just in sports. Across the world, there's not a job that demands that level of precision that we haven't passed off to technology and robots and computers. And why umpires are still doing this is beyond me. No, I because, have no idea. because it's, but how are you going to adjust for the height of a batter? <laughs> that's, my, that, that's my favorite dumb argument. I bet you. But batters are sometimes taller. I don't. Right. I know we, we have self-driving vehicles now. Okay. I, I think we can figure it out. I know you're being sarcastic, but there are people who genuinely ask that question. I know it's absurd. No, there, no, there are. Yeah. I bet you there are. It's a simple click and a slide of a mouse. In between batters for somebody sitting up in the booth to adjust the strike zone for somebody's height. But don't you guys think that there's... I'm with you. It makes perfect sense to go to an electronic strike zone. But isn't there a difference right now in 2019 between that conversation, which should go somewhere and right now is slowly going down a path, and the conversation of what transpired in Houston last night with this complete incompetent moron behind the plate like there are at least as difficult as as what you're describing, which is the human eye trying to call pitches. There are some guys that aren't awful at it, and yes, they are. They're going to make mistakes, and it's frustrating. But there's a difference between 
taking on a very difficult job and you can tell it's difficult and being somebody who should be fired Im- immediately. Yeah. Like, like last night's game, I can't describe this enough because it's so frustrating. Last night's game, I started to watch and I'm like, oh, you know what? Twins in Houston, right? Good game, two good teams. Angel Hernandez's presence behind the plate made me not want to watch. Yeah. Well, he did. I will say, was it was it um, George Springer? Where there was there were back to back pitches he threw his bat and he slammed his bat and took his helmet off. Yes, and it was like the second pitch was clearly lower than the pitch that he called a ball the correct. pitch before. Yeah, this is correct. And but again, to Rami's point, I mean, we're literally talking about a couple inches and. And you're sort of off center, and you're looking down on the pitch. So, just from a human empathetic standpoint, it's a really hard call to make on a regular basis. And I was fully expecting after the bat slam for George Springer to get ejected, so, and yeah. Angel Hernandez just sort of sat there and took it and didn't didn't toss him. I actually found an article, you guys, from Forbes. So, uh, MIT Technology Review released on March 5th has ten comprehensive explorations of new innovations and technologies for 2019, okay? So these are things, technological advances in the world in 2019. If you're wondering, well, I mean, has technology, Rob Manfred, the technology is quite complicated. I don't know if you guys really understand how hard it is to create an electronic strike zone in a baseball stadium. So uh, number one, robot dexterity, robot hands that can learn to manipulate unfamiliar objects on their own. Uh, we have new you wave. You know what people are using that for. <laughs> I'm just gonna say, we could go off on another conversation with that one. That's another news. Uh, new wave what nuclear power, both fission and fusion reactor designs that could help bring down carbon emissions. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's not a strike though. No, or a ball. How about you know what reducing carbon emissions does? It removes the human element. <laughs> it does. I hate you people who say that. How about custom cancer vaccines, treatments that will use a body's own immune system to target only tumor cells? Uh, so you, you you throw some sort of a you know uh, injection or whatever, and mm-hmm. it finds its way to the tumorous mm. cancerous cells again. Human element. Yeah, we can't fight cancer Why with are we technology st- right. like Why that. Why are we okay? stopping the human element, guys? Fight cancer the good old fashioned way. Exactly. Okay? <laughs> right. Take a nap. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> you can joke about cancer when you have loved ones close to you. Yes, <laughs> yes, you right. can. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sanitation without sewers, a, a self-contained toilet that could tackle disease and unpleasant living conditions in much of the developing world. Rami's on that. No, why are we trying to stop sickness and disease and 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 disgusting conditions that people live in? That's, you can you take know, your phone on this toilet. That's human element, and, and it won't get any germs on it. That's literally human elements. It's like the white truth says: we need a new plague. There's too many people on this earth. <laughs> Wow, this is taking a dark turn. Uh, but and, and number 11 on this list should be electronic strike zones in Major League Baseball stadiums. Yeah. But I don't know. The, it's just, the technology isn't quite there. So what? So, so Manfred told Stark, and this concerns me, that part of the concern is that the plate umpire won't be able to control the game if they use a strike zone that, by the way, is going to get the calls right. Yeah, you won't be able to impose your will. But, that's, your, but think about it. That's, that's exactly what we're trying to do. That's the commissioner of the sport saying that? That's really not good. Like that's a lack. That's a lack of an understanding of where this should be going completely. But here's my question: Let's say, if the argument is, well, these home plate umpires are going to lose the respect and the authoritative presence of players, right? Okay, so like, what's going to happen? There's a so your job will no longer be to call balls and strikes as you see fit. You'll 
that part will be automated and you'll just make the call based on like some sort of system. But you will still have other things that you preside over, right? Like you'll have to call force outs at home plate Correct. or plays at the plate, plays at the plate, and other things that you'll have to dust off. So are the you plate. saying that dust off the plate exactly? You'll have to make get sure that plate's clean. No, Why don't you get your broom out? I told you guys the robot umpire will be resting upon a Roomba. <laughs> I have this all yeah. figured My out. My dog hates the Roomba. But, don't but don't take on. your dog to the ballpark then. I don't but, know what to but tell if, you. But if the argument is, well, they're going to lose the respective players, okay? Yeah. And the bases are loaded and there's a tapper in front of the mound and the pitcher tosses it back to the catcher to get the force at home plate. Is the guy who comes home from third base going to be like, uh-uh, bro. <laughs> I scored. I scored. <laughs> no, no, you didn't. You're out. No, no you're not calling balls and strikes. You're not calling me out. He looks we up at the score in the press box. He's like, add the run, dude. Add the run. Yeah. <laughs> this, guy, this guy's got no clout. <laughs> Who is this guy? <laughs> he doesn't even call balls and strikes. Official scores like, yeah, you're right. This is ridiculous. Run counts. <laughs> Take that, Joe West. I ain't moving. <laughs> Kicks dirt on the plate. He throws a guy out of the game. Who are you? <laughs> Throwing me. You know what? You're out of here. You get out of here. <laughs> you lose the respect of players. All right. That's that's great. That's your commissioner. Man. When Rob Manfred got the job and talked about like moving the game into the next generation and, and, and attracting the next generation of baseball fan, I was like, I like this dude. I'm with this guy. He all he's proposed to do so far. Like instead of implementing technology to make the game better, instead of implementing the technology we have at our fingertips to market the game better and get it out there to to the younger audience that's cutting cords, the only thing he's tried to do is ruin the game that's happening on the field. That's all he's done since he's got into office. I had high, high hopes for Rob Manfred, and he's done nothing. He's done nothing that that to me has improved the game or furthered its development or its success. Nothing. Yeah, this is. We should do some sort of. Once we get past the NFL draft, let's. We should. We're all baseball guys. We love baseball. We should do a state of Major League Baseball thing because I, I had high hopes for Rob Manfred too, but uh, I don't know. Nothing's really happened. Robot commissioner. <laughs> you're out of here, Rami. Get out of the ballpark, Rami. You're going to have to give us your best because uh, I think if if I tell the audience what's coming up next, I might just laugh and abort the segment. Okay. So you need to set this up. Last week, Danny Cunningham, our Wolves guy, he was in studio with Judd and I for a segment or two, and we just stumbled upon a scenario where I'm I'm not saying that I... This view was worth a hike. Right? And it's a good way to stay on top of my health. Yes, I'm Cologuard, a prescription colon cancer screening option for people 45 plus at average risk. Have you screened for colon cancer? Not yet. Don't wait. It's more treatable when caught in early stages. Tell me more. Cologuard is non-invasive and it's used at home. It detects altered DNA in your stool to find 92% of colon cancers. 92%? Yep, even those in early stages. This was seen in a clinical study with patients 50 and older. Any positive result should be followed by a diagnostic colonoscopy. False positive and negative results may occur. Cologuard is not a replacement for colonoscopy in high-risk patients. Do not use if you have had adenomas, have inflammatory bowel disease and certain hereditary syndromes, or a personal or family history of colon cancer. Most insured patients pay $0. Ask your provider or an online prescriber if Cologuard is right for you, or visit Cologuard.com. I'm in. 